The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary-related entertainment. Aloha, Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt, how you doing? Welcome to the Solar Coaster episode number 80. 80. You got to go to Maui's new utility scale solar farm uh, public forum, which I'm really jealous of. I'll tell you <laughs> That's it was, what the show is all about. It was really uh, Jay territory up there. I was walking around with that little fuzzy mic, uh, getting everyone's attention. And uh, it was yep. a lot of fun. It was amazing to learn about uh, Interjex and uh, a Canadian company that won the RFP. Uh, that Miko had put out recently. This is a 15-megawatt facility that's going to be going up above um, uh, Maui Meadows and beneath Kula in that kind of area on the Erdman Ranch. They've got about 11,000 acres under management. And uh, it's mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty spectacular. We're talking about 50,000 solar panels, man. Yeah, 15 meg is nothing to sneeze at. I think the largest one, the single farm before that, was the 2. Eight is it correct? Yeah, it's I think it's two point eight, something like maybe two point so, eight AC or something so, like, like that territory. So this is a multiple, right? Way way bigger. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah five times. Yeah, and it, it won't have much time to be the biggest thing because see, literally tonight, uh, well, it'll be last night when this airs. But the actual uh, sixty megawatt is is uh, is being um, d- discussed. The forums going on for that as well. So we got these huge utility scale things happening in Maui. Kind of unprecedented time. Very excited. Also has a boatload of storage, and we'll talk all about you know what what that means. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is really duck curve mitigation stuff, Jay. And I, I was really excited yeah. to be up there and met a whole bunch of great people. And I really I, you know they kind of really was excited to uh, meet Julie. Uh, I think her name is uh, Mancinelli uh, of Interjects, and she spoke with us and her uh, co- uh, colleague, Eric Pard. And then also uh, we had a great conversation with uh, Sumner Erdman as well and uh, a council member, Yukile Kashiwara, Kashiwa Sugimura. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't do well with the Japanese on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's going to be a really good show. Looking forward to digging into this. Shall we just go into our uh, news, uh, our uh, housekeeping, oh. Jay, and get going? Yeah, real quick. We got so much to talk about, but I'm looking forward to these interviews. All righty. Okay. Hey, folks. This is the Solar Coaster. We're a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Kauai 1110 AM. Also, some FM stations 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. We've got a great website. Website www.solar-coaster.com. I have been updating things again. Uh, there's more pictures. We've linked up our Facebook integration thing, so now you can see what's going on over that side of the house. Uh, click on the blog tab, and you can see all the stuff we talk about. And of course, all our old shows are up there. There's, you can also go down the bottom of the page, sign up for our mailing list, which we've had a couple signups for. Thank you, sir and ma'am. Um, and then. Um, also, submit questions there. So if you have a question you can't get on the air with us, submit your question there. We'll definitely get around to it. We are also available on podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All carry the Solar Coaster. Just type in Solar Coaster. Look for a little SC uh, yellow logo, and you can take us everywhere you go. There you go. Uh, Solar Coaster has been sponsored by a great group of companies uh, over the last year and a half, nearly two years uh, that we've been doing this. Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonin, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. All these uh, companies are out here doing really exciting projects, various kinds of work, uh, making real headway and helping push uh, the state towards its 100% renewable energy mandate. So uh, thank you so much, sponsors, for keeping the Solar Coaster on air. Um, Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go right into our news and events, Jay. 
All right, news and events. Okay, so right away. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> right away. Okay, well, I mean, the, the, the recent elections are on everybody's mind, and clean energy platforms win at state level for seven gubernatorial seats. There you go. Um, that's, there you that's, go. Kind of, that's kind of interesting. So several Democratic candidates ran their campaigns on a clean energy platform in stark contrast to their opponents. That was that was the issue, is that their opponents weren't running on any kind of clean energy uh, or didn't have a position on clean energy, which seemed to be a real problem for a lot of people. So seven gubernatorial seats have changed hands. Um, I, looking for the actual states, and I'm not yeah, sure which Maine, ones they were. Michigan, Wisconsin, <laughs> Illinois, Kansas, New Mexico, and Nevada. The Alaska governor's seat was the only one to flip Republican, while Florida and Georgia are still pending final vote counts. You know, this is pretty interesting yep. stuff here, because, uh, you know, basically, uh, this fellow, J.R. Tolbert, vice president of state policy at Advanced Energy Economy, told Utility Dive, uh, it's easy to see uh, that when every candidate who ran on 100% clean or 100% renewable energy was elected as chief executives in their state. So if you want to become a governor, run on that platform and you got it. Basically, <laughs> that there you seems go. to be the way to go. Right. It, it seems it seems like a no-brainer. I can't believe I can't believe anybody would we would even argue the point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the piece I liked about this was most aggressive renewable energy mandate posed was by Governor-elect Jared Polis, If I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, of Colorado. No surprise there. Who is pushing his state to commit to 100% renewable energy by 2040, a goal that would surpass. Hawaii and California 100% mandate by five years. Wow. Uh oh. And and, uh -oh. and from what I understand, what from what I understand, they're not even in the running right now. Like the top five. So that would be no a kidding. major shift for them. Major shift. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's kind of like now there's almost like this kind of, uh, can I call it a friendly competition between states, California, Hawaii, Colorado, saying, hey, we're going to be the first to be 100% renewable energy. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah, now it's, now, now, now it's a race. Exactly now it's that. a race. It's awesome. It's awesome. No, it's, Good stuff. Not a, bad, not a bad place to be in. Absolutely. Um, hey, let's right. jump over to it, the, talk, the next one. Go ahead. Talking about gov. Talking about governorships, um, the uh, Newburyport News actually had a little article about how um, a bipartisan group of 18 governors, including Massachusetts Governor Charles Baker, um, proposes the federal government take a serious look. So they all these governors got together already, and I'm assuming it's the governors that are still in seats. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. citing the benefits of a single national power grid. Now this is interesting because we have lots of lots of interconnected individual companies but it's nothing like the the interstate highway system you know that's it's, it's they're they're literally um some public uh some private uh utilities uh some cooperatives that all kind of on, at least on the mainland they all kind of interconnect and they all can sell energy in between each other but they're all just on their own and so having a national power grid would allow um, policymakers and producers to just sell into a larger market and and really uh, revitalize the industry. Yeah, was it's, kind of the conversation. It, what, yeah, what's what, what kind of was neat about this for me is I had never thought about the grid on a national scale and and, and thinking mm -hmm. of it as one total grid. So it looks like there are these kind of pr primary segments that are actually pretty well segregated, right? And so mm -hmm. um, you know a couple of these lines here kind of you know put it into context for me. It says that uh, solar power generated in the deserts of the southwest or wind power generated in the Great Plains could be sent to other parts of the country for consumption and power from East Coast. Offshore wind farms, for example, could be transferred across the country when the sun and demand for power go down in the east. So it, it's like this, you know, these, these primary kind of natural resource assets or natural renewable energy assets that are in these different regions of the country could be shared and kind of work together to offset when, you know, they need they, they need support. They have this thing called the SEAM yep. study, and that has to do with what kind of, uh, what's it going to take to integrate these, uh, these different grids. But the results of this 
this were pretty spectacular. A study conducted by Iowa State University economist says that uh, over 15 years, uh, the result will be 280,000 megawatts of new wind capacity, 121,000 megawatts of new solar capacity, uh, 27,000 megawatts of new natural gas fueled capacity, more than $40 billion investment in the transmission system, and uh, the, the the results of uh, retirement of over 209,000 megawatts of generation capacity by 2040. So I guess that's like old fossil fuel peaker plants, things of that nature. Um, yeah, it would all, all go away. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. Um, and then also, what did you talked about here? They said $183 million increase in annual labor income and a net increase of 1,320 jobs nationally. I mean, just, this is just kind of the slam dunk of the slam dunk here. I mean, what you know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, really. Well, it's, it's, exactly. It's like I said, it's, it's similar to the state highway system where you now need a federally employed uh, group of people to actually maintain that, or at least they get federal monies to, to maintain that. But HVDC stands for High Voltage uh, Direct Current. So that's how they would be transmitting power across uh, large distances, which is massive high voltage lines. And what you thought the high voltage lines you've seen before. <laughs> yeah, what a remarkable concept. I mean, this is like those, uh, those high voltage lines we talked about maybe a few months back or six months back in China, where Europe. they have those major, uh, uh, remember that, the, the really, the, those massive uh, solar farms, I can't remember the scale of them at the moment, but they have those. Uh, those, those kind of unprecedented voltage lines that I think uh, Andre Richter had told us about, mm-hmm. uh, transmitting yep. over you know thousands and thousands of kilometers. So this is not unprecedented. It's uh, it's something that works, and it's something that looks like is coming in the future. Uh, so yeah, that's amazing. That's in, in, in fact, I found somewhere that they're actually calling it UV. Uh, UHVDC now, so that they added a U Ultra, <laughs> so oh. it's ultra high voltage. Well, to look at the actual actual <laughs> so, like units of measurement yeah. and all that, right? So yeah, well, just just so when you're when you're talking about regular high voltage as opposed to the the, the real the real stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. So there's uh, so one of our the companies that we've worked with over the past Canadian Solar. I know Jay, it's one of your favorites, right? Um, so yep. Canadian Solar, uh, they actually shipped. Uh, this is another article here on Solar Power World Online uh, from the um, from this month. It, they shipped 10 megawatts. Uh, of its first bifacial modules to an Oregon project. This is neighborhood power that 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 ate these up, right? For a couple of things they got going on out there, and uh, we know neighborhood power. They're out here in Maui as well. Um, so yep. you know, was, what I found neat about this is that they were saying because the additional energy gain is significant enough to compensate for the new tariffs on solar modules. So isn't that amazing? And steel mounting equipment too. They're saying, hey, this extra uh, boost that we get with bifacials are actually kind of you know negating the the the, the economic kind of uh, challenge that we've had here with the tariffs. You can look at it any way you like. I mean, basically, the, um, the so Canadian Solar is a bit of a misnomer. They're actually manufactured not in Canada. But <laughs> I did that. meet these guys at, at I did meet these guys at SPI. They all <laughs> came from Canada and they all had their soccer, not, not soccer, <laughs> uh, hockey, hockey jerseys. Jeez, um, hockey jerseys was hilarious. But um, you can you can either take it as the module prices are coming down, so that offsets the tariff, or the facials. <laughs> um, uh, you get ex- extra yield of electricity off it. So either way, either way you're winning and i think at the, at the end of the day it's still cheaper than the tariff oh right charges, yeah sure sure basically. sure yeah. i mean and, um, and we're down to and we're down to 20% right i mean 25% was was this year right right so, right so is that starting in 2019 it's going to be 20% is that right is that right? Pretty I'm, sure. Well, yeah. we're our, 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 at the moment we haven't been impacted by it. The ITC hasn't changed, um, but you know okay. the, it's coming soon, and I'll have to check those dates again. I, I actually, uh, it's not in present mind, but all, the, uh, all I know is that it was just a single year, the twenty-five percent. So. Okay. Okay. So um, the these cells are uh, just briefly these Canadian cells. I've never heard this name before. Biku, bi, uh, bifacial 
and coup, right? So B-I-K-U module, yeah. they call it. 370 watts on the front side and then upwards of uh, you know 20% additional yield on the back side o- over the lifetime of the solar module, which is pretty nice. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that's a little dependent on what's what they're actually um, facing on the bottom side. I mean, if it's a highly reflective surface you're going to get more as opposed to if it's something like grass that it absorbs electric uh, yep. the photons then you're you're going to get less performance yep. Yep. but 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 either but either way i mean you definitely get um a significant boost well they said they said uh, actually 20 percent additional yield because there's lower degradation and then five to 20 percent on the bifacial on the reflection on the backside, side uh, netting a 44 percent additional lifetime value compared to conventional so you start to see how it stacks nice. up you, you hook these up to a uh, to a single axis tracker like that we're going to talk about in a little bit and then you can imagine, wow, that's a really big difference over that uh, that full lifespan. So, hey, let's jump over okay. to one other interesting point about solar farms here. PVMagazineUSA.com. Yep. Uh, turns out, this, this article is, it's all about the Benjamins, and it seems solar power is getting better at printing them, is what they say. I love when they use yep, creative yep, language yep. like that. <laughs> but talking about how uh, solar farms uh, impact the uh, the ground cover. And they're saying that, uh, basically, uh, these um, the soil moisture, the micrometeorology, water use efficiency, all this stuff is, is increased and kind of protected, found that greater than 90% more biomass was grown in areas partially or fully covered by solar panels. And we're going to hear about this. Um, we're going to hear about this actually in our in our interviews here because uh, some yeah, of the urban really talks about this. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, let's jump on. So we got one one or two other ones we're going to cover, and then we're going to move into our, our, our commercial break here. Jay, do you want to touch base? Let's just uh, move right over into the uh, Hawaii market here. Uh, we did have something exciting or exciting. Exciting, I shouldn't say exciting. Interesting. Exciting. Yeah, interesting. I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, Haleiwa solar farm is being constructed right now, and it was cited for $1,000 for stormwater discharge in Juchun's Reef last month. So this is something that uh, is pretty important. When they're building these uh, these massive farms, you got to be careful about runoff, right? So, And the company said, hey, there was an yep. extreme weather event, uh, and it resulted in discharge of the site, but they're going to kind of take better care in the future. They got they got fined 1000 bucks. okay? Yeah, the photo, the photo is a bit of chocolate milk there. It looks, it looks nasty. Oh, there's a photo. I didn't even see it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. I'm surprised the fine is so small though. It's a thousand. Right, right. $1,000. Seems kind of uh, lenient, right? Yeah. Um, almost just Ooh, like PR slap on the wrist. <laughs> um, okay, so, hey, folks, we did try to move through those news and events as quickly as we could because we have this amazing uh, kind of um, uh, interview that we've worked out from last night over at the Kula Community Center. We're going to hear from all the uh, the staff members of Energix, the community members of, of Kula, also uh, Yuki Le Sugimura, the council member. So we got some great stuff coming. Let's hear from our commercial, uh, our sponsors through that, for a commercial break, and we'll come back and we'll jump right into this, okay? Aloha and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. Maui solarproject.org. Tsubuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tsubuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tsubuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. 
The Sonin Batter Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Okay, those were our wonderful sponsors. Thank you so much for keeping the solar coaster on air. Hey, Jay, let's jump right over into uh, this kind of exciting event that I went to last night. Um, it's uh, it, Basically, we went up to the Akula Community Association. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, what what happens in, in a case like this? So Maui Electric has contracted a company to build this large 15 gigawatt uh, solar farm. Megawatt. And what part of the part, part megawatt? Megawatt. <laughs> I was. Oh, I, I want 15 gigawatt. Megawatt. <laughs> You're like, like yeah, uh, 15, 15 megawatt. I'm jumping. I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Um, but what, one of the things that has to happen in the process here is that they have a public forum so that people can come in. They can voice their concerns over the project, where it's going to be, how, what their their sight lines are going to be impacted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so that's what this forum is actually all about. It's a publicly open event that anybody can go to. So we were able to go in there and interview some folks. We did get to talk to the company in charge of this. Uh, Interjects. Interjects, yeah. Uh, yeah, Interjects. Um, who are the folks? Uh, Julie, the Julie um, Mancinelli and then Eric yep. Part, I believe, was his name. And we also spoke with Sumner Erdman, yep. the uh, the family that owns the ranch where the uh, where the solar farm will go. And just to bear in mind that this was one of two community association meetings. Uh, the Maui Meadows uh, uh, community association meeting was held earlier in the week. I did, did not attend that. This was the Kula uh, community association meeting. And right, so the but because they're separate projects, yeah. they have their their own their own kind of sounding well, board. Yeah, they're, no, actually, they're this is geographic reach. They're geographic. Those are the two areas that hug this solar farm, right? So it's it's in between right. Maui Meadows and Kula. And so this is kind of like upcountry, downcountry, each community kind Got of it. looking at it from different perspectives. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a, a wonderful opportunity to speak with them. Let's hear what they had to say. We're here with Julie Man- Mancinelli. Got that right. And what's your name, sir? Eddie Park. Eddie Park. Eddie Park. 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 Got it. And Sumner, right? Yep. Sumner Erdman. Okay. Sumner. Yep. Sumner Erdman. Okay. Great to meet you all. Thanks very much for agreeing to speak with us. So uh, this is a pretty epic kind of a, a event for Maui. This is the first 15 megawatt uh, solar system that's going in, right? It's about like uh, like three or four times the size of the next largest system that's been installed. So we're here to get the story. So tell us all about it. What's going on? 
Yeah, sure. Um, no, so we're developing a project uh, over here on Ulapalakoa Ula Ranch land. It's um, called the Paiahu Solar Project. Um, it's a 15 megawatt solar project uh, with paired with a 60 megawatt hour uh, battery energy storage system. Uh, the real unique, you know, aspect of this project is really the battery, and you know, the, the ability for the battery to, you know, be charged fully from the solar during the day, and be dispatched for a, a firm, you know, four-hour period whenever the utility needs it. And so, really giving the the utility the ability to have, you know, firm capacity, and. Um, uh, just, and uh, also to uh, basically dispatch when the utility and the consumers, when the, when the peak load is. Okay, excellent. So 15 megawatts of solar. You said there's a battery component to this. How large is the battery component? So large, the battery component is it's, 50, it's a 15 megawatt uh, battery storage system that has four hours of storage. So it's, in a sense, it's about 60 megawatt hours. Got it. So 60 megawatt hours. That four to one ratio of PV to storage seems to be kind of the standard, right? No, definitely. I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for Hawaii. Uh, you'll see similar projects uh, on Kauai that also have uh, similar size systems, and it really enables the utility um, to uh, to load shift essentially. And so I think why that's uh, there's a lot of solar penetration, and we really you know don't need more solar during the day. I think that you know folks want to have the ability to dispatch of solar in, in the evening hours primarily. Okay, and so that's a pretty substantial project. Can you tell us a little bit about your company or companies? Yeah. yeah. Sure, so uh, we work for a company called Interjex Renewable Energy. We are a strictly renewable energy company uh, that develops wind, solar, hydro, and we operate geothermal assets. So our company has been around for 28 years. Uh, kind of our go-to is uh, being responsible developers, uh, taking in consideration environmental communities uh, and economics and so it's finding that balance between people planet profit and trying to come up with the best responsible sustainable project that we can and so uh, we have operations in Canada US uh, France and Chile and so we're super excited to be making the leap over to Hawaii and starting that venture here Amazing. So is a 15 megawatt, 60 megawatt hour solar system kind of like something you do a lot of? Or is this a, you know, I mean, have you done a bunch of these types of projects or? You know, it's definitely a large, it's like you said, it's about five times uh, larger than the largest project on Maui to date. Um, but most of the projects that we've we've had um, are, or we work on are about 20 megawatts. Um, and we're currently working on a 250 megawatt project in Texas. And so this is a little bit on the, on the smaller side, but, you know, certainly for Hawaii, it is a, it's a much major undertaking and, you know, we're excited to be developing this. Beautiful. So for the sake of our listeners, um, how many solar panels go into a 15 megawatt solar farm? So ultimately it'll depend on uh, what technology we go with. We have not selected uh, the panel manufacturer, uh, but we're looking at a few different options. You know, definitely a high efficiency, you know, 400 plus watt panel. I think in our initial designs, we were looking at a 405 watt panel, which would uh, require about 50,000 panels. 50,000 modules. Now, I just read an article today when we were doing news and events for this show, and we saw that some of uh, Canadian solar's bifacials that were just delivered are, are kind of like offsetting some of the tariff issues, right? Because of that extra gain. Are you guys considered bifacials for this project? No, absolutely. Um, you know, we you know bifacial is still a little bit of a newer technology, uh, but most module manufacturers are are uh, coming up with their own product line, and so it's certainly something that we're looking at. You know, we're looking at every way to uh, you know get the most production uh, from the smallest footprint. Uh, you know, 
we, we want to utilize the you know the, as small of a space as possible. So bifacials is definitely something that we're you know paying attention to. Exciting. We're big bifacial fans. Okay. So uh, why don't we hear from you're a longtime Maui resident, kind of like a pillar of the community, right? Sumner. What, what is your last name, sir? Uh, Sumner Erdman. Yep. Sumner Erdman. I've, I've heard that name mentioned a couple times around these parts. So can you tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your experience with um, this, the development of this solar farm? We, you know, how long has this conversation been going? What's your perspective on it? I mean, just, you know. I sure can. Um, we're, we run our cattle ranch and we put uh, 11,000 acres into agricultural conservation. Um, so my job is to figure out how we keep paying for that. And one of the ways we've looked at is alternative energy. Uh, we did the wind farm. I actually got to know these guys uh, about f three or four years ago, um, talking about a actually pumped hydro storage banking system. And that's kind of how we originally started, got to know each other. And uh, then they wanted to ask if they could uh, participate in this RFP and do it to this RFP, and they they did, and they were selected, and we're excited and moving forward. All right, so how long have you been in conversation uh, with, with these folks at Interjex? About four years. So that's what it takes to put together the largest utility-scale solar farm in Maui? Well, yeah, except there's a larger one going on, so... Yeah, I heard about that. Okay, so uh, let's see here. So we've got um, 50,000 modules, considering bifacials, we've got, uh, what do we say, 60 megawatt hours of storage. How about the chemistry? What kind of storage chemistry are you guys considering? Is that a discussion point right now? Uh, you know, the kind of the, the leading technology for these large scale projects is lithium ion, and so that's probably the, the, the choice that we're considering you know, for the project. So does that look like a lithium iron phosphate, for example, or like a nickel cobalt manganese oxide, or are there some other varietals that you're considering, or have you, is it too early to talk, say? It's probably too early to talk about that, right. um, but we're talking to a few different manufacturers, and there's, you know, the technology keeps getting better, uh, the costs keep coming down, and so uh, we think, you know, lithium ion generally is kind of the, the, the way to go, but who knows, you know, this project wouldn't come online for another three to four years, so... Um, there might be a better option uh, come come then. Okay, so let's talk timelines and economics a little bit. What does this mean for your listener that's listening to the radio show, interested in renewable energies, interested in getting lower rates? You know, we've got this penciling out around 36 cents a kilowatt hour with our surcharges right now and our R tariff. So it's really expensive, our electricity out here. Um, what do you think the impacts are? Do you have any kind of guidance on that? Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, you know, we, we hope that the price, you know, the price is, you know, definitely um, very competitive. It's probably the, low, the one of the lowest um, solar PPAs that, you know, you'll see. Um, we hope that it'll put downward pressure on pricing for, for rate pairs. Um, ultimately, we don't dictate the, the price of power to folks, and so we can't say how much it'll impact rates, but we certainly um, think that it should put downward pressure. And, you know, furthermore, it's a fixed price for a period of 25 years. Um, so it's stable. Uh, it's not, you know, it doesn't follow uh, oil prices or track prices. So we don't have an escalator in this. P it is, called, is it a PPA, effectively? And so we've got no escalator. What is that price that has been uh, set for 25 years uh, per kilowatt hour? Yeah, so no escalator. Um, and so the, you know, we're still in the process of negotiating the contract with, with Miko, so we haven't signed anything with them. Um, but we are, you know, talking about, you know, the PUC had really set a target for $0.08 cents if it was a solar-only project, $0.11 cents if it was a solar plus a battery project. And so that was kind of the, the goal that we had in mind. And, you know, I think we are, we're, we've, we beat that goal. And so it's... Uh, 
you know, generally kind of where we, you know, where we, where we at, but we can't disclose exactly what the price is at this time. Okay, got it, got it. So, uh, can you give us a sense of timelines? What are we, what are our expectations uh, for when this will get deployed? Uh, yep. Sure. So timelines. So uh, earlier this year, the utilities uh, put out uh, requests for a proposal uh, through a competitive procurement process. Uh, we submitted a couple of projects into the bid, as long as with other developers this spring. Uh, in June, we found out we were on the short list for one of our projects, and it's the Payahu Solar project that we're here to talk about tonight. Uh, in um, September, they announced all the final award once, and we were on that list as well. And so now we're currently in negotiations for a contract. Uh, the utility is targeting the end of the year to have the contracts uh, finalized, but it give or take. Um, once that's done and the agreements are signed, it would go to the Public Utilities Commission for final approval. Uh, that would occur sometime in 2019. While that is occurring, we would kick off all of our environmental, archaeological, cultural, technical, all the great studies that have to occur to make sure that we're being responsible with how we're siting and the design of our project. That would occur in the first half of 2019. Uh, once we find out where, if the project is approved by the PUC, we would then commence the permitting process for the project. The project uh, would be subject to a special use permit process under the county. So that would commence uh, in the latter half of 2019. Um, once that is gone through that natural process, you would then have to get building permits, electrical permits, grading grubbing permits, which would go into 2020. Um, and right now we're looking to start construction, if all goes well, uh, the latter half of 2021. Uh, with an in-service of mid-2022. So um, the, the ITC is scheduled to, to ratchet down. Is it in 2020? Is it the 6%? Is that the, the dates? Um, so in 20, December 2019, or actually January of 2020, is when it ratchets down, I believe, 4%. Okay. And so it continues to ratchet down 4% for a few years. Um, and so, you know, definitely, I think one of the strategic, um, you know, strategies that we would employ is to safe harbor. I think that's something that most developers would look at, at doing. And so, you know, we would either start construction activities, which probably is not likely in this case, but we would um, alternatively look to purchase uh, some percentage of equipment uh, to, you know, to qualify for the 30% ITC. Got it. Yeah, I've, I've read about that recently where that safe harbor is playing a major role in kind of the start dates and, and you know, to protect the, uh, the, the, I guess, the bankability of the job. So, excellent, excellent. Is there anything else that any, that I, I, any of you would like to add to or, or share with our listeners uh, across Maui before we wrap this up? Sumner? No, I'm, you know, been here my whole life and it's always been coal and oil and it's looking good to look to all alternatives, so... Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, um, I do have one more question. Uh, it, we've got about a 200 megawatt grid, I believe, right? So, uh, if that's accurate. And do you have a sense of what kind of percentage of energy we're putting in here? Because it seems like a pretty sizable uh, amount. I mean, do you have a sense of kind of how it relates to the overall grid? Approximately 7,000 Maui households. So, our project would power the equivalent of 7,000 Maui households. That'll do it. That's a perfect way to frame it. Thank you very much. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, and, you know, good luck in this community association meeting. I'm looking forward to hearing everybody's take on it. 
it and I want to learn more. I have a billion questions for you, but I'll let you guys go, okay? So thank you very much. So that was our opportunity to speak with uh, Interjex uh, before the Community Association meeting. And uh, next, we actually got a chance to listen to the Q&A between the community and uh, not only Interjex and Sumner and the Erdmans, but also uh, Doug McLeod was up there uh, helping kind of frame this this project to the community. So let's take a look. Um, I remember when the first were talking about the wind farm, whether Sumner came and talked to us and uh, we said, is that going to make our electric bill go down? And, um, the answer is no, but it will keep it from going up. So uh, what I'm wondering is, I think this is going to be a lot cheaper than wind, so is my electric bill going to go down? There's a couple of components to that. Um, so we can speak to what our project is doing. To what Nico's doing. Uh, so, as part of this procurement process, the Public Utilities Commission put forward targets. They acknowledge that uh, Hawaii, the state of Hawaii has very high electricity rates, some of the highest in the states and many other places in the world. Um, and that really doesn't help with housing and sustainability. And so, um, recently they put forward this target. And again, part of this why they're having this competitive procurement process to really drive those prices down. And so they put a target of solar-only projects, about 8.2 cents, whereas solar plus battery, about 11 cents. And so as part of this process, projects had to submit bids. And all we can say right now is we're under that target, and we put in a really good bid. Um, in comparison, oil is, you know, in the 20 plus range, it's variable, as we noted again. Ours is a fixed price for 25 years. Um, you can only hope that as more renewable energy comes on and those lower, cheaper prices, and put that downward pressure on Nico to lower their rates. They still have to maintain their uh, transmission line, they still have to manage bills and all of that good stuff, so there is an overhead cost. But again, hopefully that will come down with more renewable projects coming online. Um, I, I was actually going to say the way I answered that was pretty much what she just said was <clears throat> that it was a stable price that was coming in. It was a set price. It didn't have the fluctuations of oil. However, you still have all the linemen that have to fix the power lines and do all that. So you can't do it. And it is an ECOS. And the PUC. We do have a PUC. Yeah, just usually in our own, if you get your electricity right now from Nico, it's roughly, let's say, 34, 35 cents per kilowatt hour. The windmills, both the ones that are on Ulupalaku as well as on the ridge of Malaya, they sell it to the county, to the Tumiko, at roughly 22 cents, 21, 22 cents. What uh, is being proposed here is 11 cents. So conceptually, if everything works well and goes through and everything else, we should see Maui Electric pay less. But there is one other added thing to it, and that is they still have their power plants. They still have to pay off those power plants and up to have those as standby until someday we have enough batteries on the island that we will not have to rely on fixed power from oil, <coughs> etc. So that's the, that's the goal down the road. Just sorry, if I just add one other number so you have the full context. So basically the numbers are 11 cents is what this project is. Mika's cost to make it with fossil today, 13 or 14 cents. And then they're selling you the power at 35. So that gives you a feel of, of honestly, yes, this should save money. 
You mentioned 25 years is the fixed rate of the cycle. What is your projected turnover of those solar cells? What is the lifetime cycle of your solar panels? So uh, the, the, the term of the PPA or contract is 25 years, but I think it's become um, very, I guess I would say proven that these panels will last long beyond the 25 years. On a year-to-year -year basis, uh, they do degrade about 0.5%. And so at the end of the 25-year life, I think they're still going to be about 85 to 90% of its original capacity. And do you see any turnover in technology of change of those solar panels in the next 25 years? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we would, um, you know, on the, on the solar panel side, um, you know, there, there are constant innovations. Um, but, um, you know, we've come a long way on solar panel technology, and so, um, I would say that uh, definitely, you know, we're in a position where we could lock down at I think a pretty stable rate with the technology as it as it exists today. Um, if there is an ability to you know to replace panels with, with new panels, certainly you know we would love to replace it with uh, the latest and the greatest. Um, same thing on the battery side. Um, you know, we would we would not um, swap out batteries, but we would just as the capacity of the batteries drop, we would do the same thing. We would just add more batteries to supplement the. The drop in the capacity of batteries. Yes? Okay, one other thing about batteries. What is the life of battery backups and what's the disposal for this? Yeah, I, I, I could start, maybe uh, Doug can elaborate, but that's a very good question. And um, the, the, the batteries do degrade faster than the solar panels, and so I think at the end of the 25 year life, we've seen with lithium ion, they should be about at 70%. Uh, useful life of the batteries, and so certainly we would not dispose of any of the, the usable batteries. Again, we would just supplement them with, with more batteries. Um, and as far as disposal goes, um, at the end of life, they're they still significantly um, valuable uh, materials and metals inside the batteries, and so um, a lot of the manufacturers, such as Tesla, are saying, hey, we'll take back your batteries, you know, ship them back to us, and we'll recycle. I think they said that they can recover about 60 to 70 percent of the materials within the battery. So it's, it's pretty, um, there's a lot of recover, recoverable and recyclable materials within the batteries. And, and just to give you a, a complete answer, which, which we're trying to do, I mean, the, the reality is there's no one in Hawaii that's doing the kind of battery recycling that needs to be done. And this is a problem for all the residential solar batteries that's going in as well. So right now we don't have a solution on this island or, or really on a lot of it. Um, you know, I, I think that that is just something that, that we have to acknowledge, you know, and, and talking with the guys today. You know, this is going to ship somewhere else. It's on us. The agreement with the ranch is, you know, they have a bond. We are going to remove everything. But right now, that means it's going to go on a boat somewhere. Um, I'll speak to the first question, and Julia can elaborate on the Glenn and Glare studies because we have done a preliminary study on, on that aspect. Um, but as far as how the, the, the panels would be arranged, it would be rows of trackers. And so between each row of trackers, there's about maybe 10 feet. Um, that's something that we're still designing for. Um, so there are uh, significant big uh, spaces between the rows. Certain manufacturers, such as SunPower, they have a tracker that um, has a 16-foot row space in between. And so, um, yeah, there's you know, definitely a lot of space. Oh, yes, absolutely. And 
guess uh, Julia can speak to the uh, so generally about um, seven to ten feet is, is slightly different in their criteria. So you try to, the nice thing about the single access trackers is there's minimal grading required. You have posts on either end of each row. And so you're really minimizing the surface disturbance and keeping as much of the natural terrain as you can for that. Minimizing erosion, sediment control, storm runoff, all of those things that are really important to manage for. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, yeah, so we, would, we, would, we would definitely leave the plants, the vegetation. I mean, the main thing that we would want to do is to just clear the vegetation around the plant, just to, you know, just to have a barrier. So. Can you put about the glares? Yeah, so Glen glare is definitely a thing that has to be assessed. And um, once the final design is done, there'll be a, like, a robust study. Uh, one of the great things about using the new solar panels is they're a smooth glass, and they also have an anti-glare protection on the coating on them. So it helps really minimize the glare. And then in addition, with the single axis trackers, with it always kind of following the solar movement of the sun, it's always directed back up at the sun, whereas when you have the fixed tilt angles, it has the ability to do a little bit of a refraction. And so from the uh, preliminary modeling that we've done, at least for the uh, flight path, and then for the most proximal residents, uh, it's showing no issue with the FAA uh, criteria for modeling. As I understand, the project calls for a four-to-one ratio of battery storage to, to the generating capacity of the, of the panels. Is that a, a max, or can that could the storage be increased to not just four hours, to six hours, to eight hours, or something using the same panel configuration? Yeah, no, it's, um, I think four hours was the minimum that was called for, or the four to one ratio. Um, but I think one thing that I should clarify is that, you know, if that's four hours at full capacity. So if you're dispatching 15 megawatts, you can do that for a period of, of, of four full hours. But if you're dispatching, you know, half of that, then you're, you can dispatch for eight hours. And so um, if, it just kind of depends on how Miko wants to dispatch uh, the project. But can you add batteries to that same solar, the panel configuration, or is that the max? Um, under this current configuration that we proposed to Nico, that, that is the maximum. And so I think um, typically, uh, especially with lithium ion, four hours, I would say five hours is probably um, four to five is a sweet spot uh, for lithium ion. And it's, it's actually a replica of what's being done on, on PIDC. Uh, the projects there are both four and five hour batteries, and they're actually not dispatching any solar during the daytime. They're just using all the solar to charge the battery and dispatching it all in the afternoon and evening. And so we anticipate that Miko would probably run in very similarly to that. What about fire? Uh, two ways. One, is there any threat? We know now California said that thinking that some of the uh, fires, the big fires, can cause by the electrical system. And secondly, is there a danger? That area, when, it, when we have droughts, is an extremely dry area and could be subject to uh, what do we have to protect that your, your system from fires? I can, I can promise you the ranch will make sure that that design is there to not have fires. <laughs> will, will they have water? Will they have water there to stop fire? We'll, we'll make, we, we did that with the, with the wind farm, with the substation with the wind farm. We've we put that in because it'd be detrimental to us. And where would the water come from? Uh, it won't all be done with water, but there are other ways to suppress an ice plant. Okay. 
So maybe just to elaborate, so we have met with the fire department uh, just to get some initial feedback and their thoughts and just really understand the fire dynamic in this area as well as things to consider when designing the project. And so um, the big thing for them is access, making sure that there's really good access around the site, making sure that the, there's turning radiuses for their equipment, so making sure the roads are appropriately designed, um, also having a nice big fire break surrounding the project. So right now it's a 20-foot buffer between the solar panel and the fence line. Um, again, to allow the fire trucks to go around as well as to have that break between if something were to come close, there's that natural break so it won't affect our project. And again, both the other ways. Um, solar panels don't generally create uh, fire. Um, they're also made of glass and Silicon. Yeah, and so um, from that part, there's not. Then a lot of people ask about the batteries. So the batteries are, again, lithium ions, all in the electric cars nowadays. There's a lot of proven technology of how to manage it. Um, the container systems have cooling systems, uh, measurements, and they have a unique feature if something does uh, trigger and there's self-set-off uh, valves, and if they, for some reason, don't, uh, they have um, a system where the pop tops in the metal and it, the other systems trigger even further cooling and it just kind of slowly burns. Uh, in those cases, you can bring in uh, additional fire suppression, um, but it is contained within the metal cell, which is really nice. Um, and you can uh, prolong the flame if you wanted by putting water on it, um, if you wanted it to burn longer, but uh, I think you want it to burn itself out quicker. I just wanted to add that when we had a chance to meet with the, the MFD folks, we had a chance to meet with a couple of the assistant chiefs that have really been involved in fighting the fires, particularly the ones out in West Maui recently. And those had come up right against the edge of the solar department there. So we had a chance to talk about what their experience was in terms of uh, the, the impact and the effect of a moving fire on a solar farm, but also in terms of you know what the effect can be as far as the fire break. And so right now, what the fire department is telling us is the properly designed, they see this as a fire break that would be a net benefit, you know, in terms of, of fire risk to the Maui Meadows folks. And I mean, that's not to say that there may not be other concerns that people have, but that there is the potential for this to, to really be a benefit in that sense. So, yes, Josh. So recently, a uh, um, solar farm in Oahu was cited for runoff into the ocean. And I wonder what your strategy is for weed suppression systems to allow the panels to produce optimally. Uh, if you've considered the use of uh, things like glyphosate or controversial uh, pesticides, that could create problems for uh, our reef ecosystem. Are you referring to vegetation management? Yes. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, I mean there, are some, there are sites where the vegetation grows very, very quickly. And um, I think this one, definitely vegetation management, is probably one of the hottest topics in, in, in Hawaii generally. Um, I think this site um, wouldn't see the, the type of, um, of growth vegetation-wise that you would see in other areas. But certainly, it's something that we would have to manage very, very carefully. Um, we're looking at a lot of dual-use type applications. I think a lot of people bring in um, sheep. Uh, they're, they're very effective uh, with vegetation management. And so, um, But certainly not to use um, anything um, toxic or hazardous. Um, on that, we have talked about using sheep to do it, which we have. Um, and the other thing is <clears throat> the area where this is, at this point in time, it's buffalo rice, 
which generally won't get much higher than this, so it'll stay lower. So, like he says, the vegetation management, unless it changes, it's changing on us drastically every day, um, shouldn't be that severe, but we have talked about using the sheet as a much more annoying way. All right, so that was an opportunity to hear a little bit of that feedback from the community, which was, you know, part of require a PUC requirement uh, for the RFP for the uh, yeah, it the just process. makes sense. I mean, if, if we're going to have to live with this thing, we need to have a voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, my, and I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty kind of warm reception actually up there in Kula, which was cool. Uh, I, I've had, heard of some of these things becoming very divisive, but yeah, it wasn't too bad. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it was not the Maui Meadows one. I heard there was a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a, a, <laughs> some action down there, um, but this. This one was, you know, pretty warm and pretty well received, and, and it was a positive discussion for sure. So we also had an opportunity, uh, both um, Kyle Yamashita, Final, the state finally. rep, <laughs> and also uh, the councilwoman Yuki Lei Sugimura were both in attendance. We did get an opportunity to do a kind of post forum, uh, quick discussion with uh, councilwoman Sugimura. So let's listen to her perspective. So I'm here with councilwoman Yuki Lei Sugimura. Hi. Uh, of the district of Upcountry? Upcountry, yeah. So I run from Upcountry, and we run at large. So we represent all of Maui County. It is the way that council members run, but we have to live in a certain area. So I live in Kula. In fact, my house is right next door. Okay, great. I got it. So we yeah. just um, sat down and we were here at the Kula Community Association, and we had a chance to hear about the new solar farm that's going in to the Ulibar Kula Ranch, right? Right. So uh, what was your perception of, of what we just heard? So I was involved with the wind farm with Ulupalakua Ranch in terms of doing some community engagement. So I'm a, I'm a little bit familiar with um, the Erdmans and the Ulupalakua Ranch. I'm glad to see this because of what Sumner explained, um, the president of Ulupalakua Ranch, how much it costs to raise cattle, right? And, and this is their way of sustaining the open space and ranching and to reach out and did their first project was the um, Awahi Wind Farm, which they have eight towers, eight wind, windmills um, that generates, and that one was um, at that time, I don't know what the numbers are now, but it was for 75 homes, and um, it, of course, you know, working on you know, wind storage and whatever, and um, anyway, their whole plan is sustainability. This is, uh, I'm glad to see it, um, because it is their way of sustaining their, you know, their ranching and utilization of their land and giving back. So I, I'm very encouraged with this. Um, of course, we have to go through the review process. They are going to come before the council, so I'll look for that um, and when it does come before us. So that that's kind of hits on the question I wanted to ask you. Uh, what type of role does the council play in how does the council interact with the deployment of these large-scale renewable energy systems or, or for that matter, uh, helping the state and the county kind of move towards our renewable energy goals? So I think all of us sit in the same, um, same, have the same feelings about wanting to be 100% renewable, right? And uh, we all got to work together to get there. Um, the steps that we take are, um, we have, um, they, they would have to come before us to get approvals um, for their project um, for land use, right? So that's, that's where we would come in. We encourage it. We want it. We want it. And um, we all have a big concern about fossil fuel. You know, we see it with our, our gasoline, and, 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 and this is the steps in the right direction. So um, it's going to take all of us to do it. I stand with them. I, I'm, 
I, I appreciate what the Erdmans are doing um, because for them, I bet you, as much as um, this is a good thing, it's, it's a, it must be a little bit painful for them to give up like ranch land, you know, the traditional, traditional sense of ranch land. But the Erdmans are a um, wonderful family because they have another project called um, it's Oahe Water Storage, water, I'm sorry, waste, um, um, they basically have set aside their land so that they could restore that to bring back greenery and, and you know, watershed? yeah, watershed, yeah. watershed. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're very progressive and yet they're, they're ingrained in old time ranching. So I love to see this, you know, it's Sumner Erdman, uh, who's taking the steps forward. And one day I hope you meet his father, Pard Erdman. Um, they're really old time ranchers with good co uh, community spirit at heart. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. It's really great to hear your perspective, and maybe we'll get you on the show one of these days. Yes, yes, I would love to. Thank you. What an opportunity that was to hear from uh, Councilwoman uh, Sugimura and her perspective. Very positive. One of the things that I got out of that was was that the council does play a role here because this organization interjects uh, as they go through this timeline of putting this kind of massive solar farm together, at least massive on the scale of, of what's in Maui. I mean, they're doing much larger things across the, the, the country and the world. Um, sure. But sure. They, they have to come to the council to ask for approval to get these things uh, kind of permitted in each of these stages of the conversation. So the council will play a pretty significant role here. Um, so, you know, in addition to this, so that was the uh, the Kula Community Association kind of forum about this uh, solar farm. Uh, pretty illuminating experience for me. And I think that we're, uh, we're not only is that happening, but we also have the 60 megawatt, four times the size uh, that's actually happening uh, Thursday night, just pre before the show airs. And so we're going to take a look at maybe bringing that into one of our shows in the upcoming weeks. So uh, really good experience, learned a lot, and uh, really cool to see these kinds of things finally taking shape. It's like it's, it's almost like, yeah, you know, pinch had, me, how did it happen? Yeah, and we would, we would certainly encourage all of you, if you do have one of these in your area, I mean, keep abreast of that. If you have concerns, go to these meetings, because they're actually, I mean, you, you can't, you have, you have no right to complain after the fact if you didn't go. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but, it, but, but, there's, but, it, but it's actually, I mean, it's a great, it, great opportunity to talk to these folks, figure out what the issues are before they start building it. I mean, you don't, you don't want to wake up one morning and find out that they built it and you didn't know. Sure, uh, so, sure. so do, so do, do keep abreast of these meetings when they happen. Absolutely. Well, uh, that was a pretty good show here uh, for the Solar Coaster episode number eighty. Hey, folks, this has been uh, the Solar Coaster. We are sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonin, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful weekend. Get some sun.